Welcome to Nine to Thrive, a show about life plus work plus creativity and how people manage to balance what they need to do to stay alive and pay rent with what they need to do to be fully human with what we need to do to be part of a community or a family. This grows out of a podcast that I had a couple years ago, and I would have guests on and we would talk about those three things and how people navigated and negotiated those things. With COVID, out of left field, unexpected tragedy and all around weird thing, I'm finding that a lot of people that I talk to are concerned about balancing life and work and creativity with educating their kids. And so a lot of our a lot of my guests in the coming weeks are going to be homeschoolers. We're going to talk about how to make the day work so that you can still work. I am a longtime homeschooler. My kids are grown. My name is Janet McKenna-Lowry, and I'm your host. A little note about COVID recording. My dog, Minette, is my co-host, and she may end up talking a little bit during recordings, in which case, feel free to email me and say hi. Send her a picture of one of your own dogs to info at working9tothrive.com, and that's with the number nine. My background is I have three daughters, family with three daughters, and they all homeschooled while I worked. Sometimes I worked out of the house, sometimes I worked in the house, sometimes I did a combination of both, sometimes I was a freelancer. So the people that I will be talking to primarily this fall are people who fall into that, who, are, who have done what everyone's trying to do right now. All three of my daughters are UMass grads. I am also a UMass grad for undergrad. And a couple of years ago, I got my MBA at Trinity College in Dublin, Ireland. My last daughter had graduated high school and all of us went to college at the same time, which was a blast. A lot of my philosophy of not just education, but this show has to do with the fact that the skills of business are the skills that I learned homeschooling. They apply cross-disciplinary to sports and all sorts of other pursuits, really anything where you have to manage, where you have to manage people and relationships, and you have to manage time, and that you have to manage cognition or thinking, and honestly, good, good leaders, where you have to learn to manage yourself. And we're going to be talking a lot about that, even when we're not specifically talking about homeschooling, because that piece, that piece of self-leadership and leadership of others, I always want to learn more about it. I think that we have a lot of shortcuts in our world. I think we have a lot of shortcuts in our commerce, commercial life, in our political life, and they don't deal with real leadership. And I am really interested in what makes a leader good. But I also want to know what makes someone who is a good leader able to do some things for caring for themselves. And that's the creativity piece. You bring creativity into your leadership, but you bring it into rejuvenating yourself as well. Artists, musicians, people who are not, who don't consider themselves artists and musicians because they're not professional artists and musicians. And that's one of my favorite favorite things in the world and is a practice that I did for many years before it occurred to me that it would be fun to record it. You go to networking 
MBA programs are full of them, but lots and lots of industries are full of them. And you go to a conference, you go to networking, and everyone stands around and says, what do you do? This is a big thing about just regular grown-up parties, unfortunately. What do you do? What do you do? And the rationale behind that has a lot to do with how can I peg you as someone useful to me or not useful to me? And are you someone I should admire or ignore? So if you do something that I think makes you a lot of money, maybe you're someone I should connect with, that just turns me off like an, like a plug getting unplugged. And for many, many, many years, I opted out of what I felt was a really shallow careerist way of approaching the world because of that kind of practice. And I was young and had no confidence and struggled with a whole lot of things, but I just opted out. Now, when I look at this, I ask a different question, and I feel like I now have the, not just the courage of my convictions, but the curiosity of my convictions. And now I ask people, what do you like to do? So the piece about balancing work and life and creativity is, what do you like to do? And that has also supported my philosophy of homeschooling. What do you like to do? And I have to tell you, everybody can go out and, and do this for themselves. And I encourage you to. I mean, I suppose you can stand six feet away from people and yell it. But once you're really meeting up with people again, try it both ways. Ask somebody what do they do and get the answer. And while you're, while you're getting the answer, watch their faces. Watch the way they behave to you. They have a little set thing about what they say. They have, if they're entrepreneurs, they have a kind of elevator pitch about what they do. Next person you go up to say, what do you like to do? And everything about them changes. Because even if they're going to give you their elevator pitch, even if they're going to give you a business side of them, they're going to talk about the piece that is so exciting to them. And I don't know about you, I love to be around people who are lighting up. And I'm bored around people who are not. And it is true. I have done this a lot of places a couple of times. I've gotten someone who was so beat down that they can't remember what they like to do. And that's a little bit of a different conversation. But most people you will find just radically change in their response to you. And you get into incredibly fun conversations. One of the things that I think about actually many years ago... I worked at UMass at the UMass libraries. This is kind of the genesis. This is when I started thinking in these terms. I was already homeschooling my three kids and I had swapped off with their father. And so we, we had just changed how we did some of our hours, which we'll talk a lot more about as this fall goes on, about the flexibility of what I call real homeschooling, but is homeschooling that is not remote schooling or school at home. The flexibility of saying, yeah, I'm going to teach my kids means that you can do a lot of this switching off of schedules. We'll talk about that under time management. But when I worked at the library, I worked in the reference department and came to know the reference librarians. At one point, I had actually thought about becoming a reference librarian myself because of how much I love to find things out. And I met these reference librarians. Well, one of the co-heads of the department was a career librarian, and she also drove a bus for PVTA in Northampton. Why? She didn't have to. It's not like it was a poorly paying job or that she had 
some debt reasons to do it. She did it because the woman likes buses and she's a talented driver. And I just loved that. Another one was a bagpiper on the side was, and I mean, (laughs) a bagpiper, a professional musician. And for years, I realized I was watching her march in the giant Holyoke St. Patrick's Day Parade, a blonde woman who barely stood five feet tall with a massive Scottish bagpipe. This is why I do what I do. I love to talk to people about the things they don't get to talk about enough. I love to talk about the things that make them light up. And I love to help people because I was like this for so long. I love to help people who have forgotten or never were really able to discover themselves what makes them light up. I love working with people to find those things with them, to be there when they uncover it, to support and and create an environment where they do. So that's some of my background. So the skills of management, which I studied academically and lived real time for many, many years as a supervisor, as a subordinate, as a parent, as a homeschooling parent, and as a teacher, which I've also done. These pieces are all about managing relationships and attentiveness and creating a space for people to successfully learn. One of the things I really like about homeschooling is how much it's like college. I do think it's a little odd in our society that we deny young people the opportunity to craft their own educations until they're that age. There's no reason they can't do it earlier. And a lot of times they really like it because after we're out of elementary and high school, even if we work at schools, we rarely have a day like that again, where we've been, you know, told what to do, run by a bell and then do it. It's a factory type of day, which is fine, but we rarely do. What we have when we're adults is most of us jobs where you have to figure out along with your team, along with your boss, a shared goal by a certain date and how to get there. And you need to be able to decide what resources you need whether it's learning, time, assets, what, what kind of resources do you need to successfully complete this mission? And you do that in a team atmosphere. You talk to your boss. You talked about the constraints. You talk about how much you can get done. That is what most of us do at work as adults. As teachers, we often end up with a pre-existing goal, which is we want these kids or these adults to be able to display a certain amount of mastery. We need to create that learning atmosphere. And in fact, what teachers tend to do is the management piece in spades because they're doing it for 30 kids. And when we homeschool, we're doing it for significantly fewer. So I've given a lot of thought about this for homeschooling because the way that I homeschooled was a very specifically freeing way. I did not unschool. That's a really fun thing that a lot of people do. I've seen it done brilliantly. I've never seen it done poorly, actually. Neglect is a different issue. I have seen families that neglect their kids. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about homeschooling, which is attentive parents creating a learning atmosphere. And I have seen people do unschooling in which there's no structure at all except that 
which the kid themselves has taken on. I could not myself do that leap of faith. I have to say, to be fully and totally honest with you, I didn't trust myself enough. And because of that, I didn't trust my kids enough. But I've seen it work and I know it works and it is very cool. Instead, what I did, what I like to call kind of a structured unschooling. When my kids were homeschooling, we did that same premise that teamwork in work or teamwork in college, if it works well, is based on, which is what are the goals that we need to get to by the end of, you know, the semester or the year? How will we get to those? What kind of resources do we need? And a very wise homeschooler who had finished with her kids just as I was starting mine once said, when you are homeschooling elementary kids through the end of elementary school into middle school, you are a manager. And when you are homeschooling them from middle school to the end of high school, you are a consultant. And that is a really good piece of information. And that is true, I believe, whether you are taking on the homeschooling yourself or whether you are shepherding them through the remote schooling or school at home. I won't have a lot to say about schooling at home and remote schooling because philosophically, I don't like them. I know some kids do really well in them. And if that happens, that's great. I could not be happier for you. But it's, first of all, not my experience. And second of all, I have seen the magic of harnessing a kid's deep interest and their motivation, their self-motivation. And I love it so much that I don't advocate for a kind of replicated, you were in school like this, and now you'll do it at home in front of Zoom. I just, I, I don't have it. But a lot of the stuff we'll talk about with homeschoolers and a lot of stuff that I'll talk about around resources and books and various ways of thinking aren't really specific to any kind of homeschooling. So if your kids are home and you want to learn about time management, you'll learn a lot about that, even if the kind of homeschooling you're doing is different than the kind that I like to advocate. So what I really like to advocate is student-led homeschooling. What that means is you talk with your kids, you listen to your kids, you have frequent meetings with your kids about what they like to do. And then you take all of the academic subjects that you need to cover and you filter them through the lens of what they like to do. A really good example, one of my favorite examples is soccer. If you've got a kid who loves soccer, then this fall can be a time where they really double down on their training for soccer. They do their math, looking at angles, looking at force, looking, oh my God, what, what that, the five, the shape of the soccer ball matters. Why does it have five sides to every section? All of the science behind resistance, the science behind how they make the pitches, how they make the shoes, everything you can think of, there's math, there's science. You might ask, where are the best leagues? Why are they like this? Why are so many phenomenal soccer players in the world from Central and South America? Write up a list of interview questions, get in touch with their agents, and see if any of them will talk to you. Once they do that, maybe you record it. In fact, definitely record it. Now you're doing editing as well. Editing involves math. It involves audio. It might involve visual. 
that is how the kind of homeschooling I advocate works because it demands very little of a parent's one-on-one face-to-face instruction. I never did that. I didn't have enough time. But it also makes the kid find out for themselves a lot of stuff, and it detaches them from the agenda that the school has because they can make their own. So that's one. And then the second one that I just love that's actually a recent discovery for me but is pretty similar is a kind of schooling. In fact, when I heard about this, it was about a private school, which I think is just brilliant, which uses a technique about a question, the incisive question or the one question, in which you sit at the beginning of the year with your kid and you say, what have you always wondered? So parents immediately are going to think, everybody's immediately going to think, yeah, well, well, they can't read. Yeah, well, how will they do math? And I'm here to tell you, I don't think that was ever a question. I think that's a fear tactic, and I don't think that's ever been a question. Kids want to learn. That's like saying, well, they won't get up and they won't walk unless you make them. Oh, they will. They will. Well, they won't climb unless you make them. Oh, they will. (laughs) They absolutely will. So if you discover with them a question that they really want to answer, and you tell them, I need to see evidence of these different kinds of learning, try trusting that. The worst that can happen is they have to find another question because this one didn't really do it. The worst that can happen for interest-based is you end up with a kid who turns out to kind of lose it on soccer. They feel like they've reached a point of mastery or maybe even they're injured or, or something and they lose some mojo around it and they decide they really, really, really get into rocks and you just switch topics. I think that COVID-19 has illustrated a lot of social cracks that we've had for a long time, that we were all so busy and it was just easier to not pay attention to these cracks. A lot of them have to do with how our taxes are spent and our social services. If we spend an obscene amount on our military and very little at all on caring for one another, We end up with a society like this. If we end up militarizing and making a lot of funding available to law enforcement, but very little to health, we end up like this. And for the schools, it's been very interesting because I've been aware for a long time. As I said, my kids were, they homeschooled a lot, but they also did public school and they also went to charter schools. And schools are asked to do far, far more than just educate our kids. And it's given us a strange, distorted idea of what schools are meant for and what they do. And part of the reason is that it's been so convenient. Schools provide a certain kind of childcare. And that's a piece that we really have to separate out for the fall. And we have to do it because that is actually the hardest piece ever, I think, of having kids is figuring out how to get them cared for in a way that we can afford, in a way where they are safe and happy. That has gotten just like a rock pulled out of the moss and the sunlight shining on what what an issue that is for parents. And I want to make sure people understand that this fall, as they have kids schooling at home, Childcare is a separate piece. It's not schooling, and it never has been, but it's been so easy to lump them together that we've all kind of gotten happily used to that. I think it's going to be really interesting to see how this changes 
how parents grow and come to realize how our world works and how it could work differently and better for all of us. I think it's going to be really interesting to talk to kids about living through this. We will live, a chunk of us will live through this. And I don't mean that in a glib way. I think this is a colossal tragedy and an unnecessary one. And I am very affected by it. I've had close people die from COVID. The majority of us will live or be okay enough through this. And and I say that in the same way that the majority of people lived have lived through other pandemics. The amount of people lived through the plagues, they lived through the 1918-19, lived through polio. And the narratives that are going to come out of this are what we're writing right now. Having homeschooled three kids, having worked with tons of homeschooling families and groups and just been very invested in in living like that for a long time. I want for everybody to be able to be sitting down at Thanksgiving five years from now, 10 years from now, and remember really fondly that weird year or two where we got to do really interesting projects and how that led me to realized that what I really, really wanted to study more was how bodies move. And that's now, you know, makes me the kinesthesiologist I am today. Maybe it's that is where I really learned what it takes for me to become a a complete master at lacrosse because I made it so that my day was all lacrosse and so that I really deeply understood how to master the skills that I needed for that. I know that it's possible because I've had Thanksgivings like this. I love the idea of it being a time where people look back and they're like, I know it was hard. Of course it was hard. Of course it is hard. And more importantly, it's always hard. We're just used to the hard that we're used to. So this has to do with transition. And for most of us, it has to do with our kids' transitions plus our own transitions. So I love the idea of a decade from now, kids writing stories and books and talking at Thanksgiving about how this moment in time was so interesting and new and different and changed them so much. And it could go either way. It could either be a time that they look back on as just awful and a slog and how what they had loved about school was gone and that what they got in its place didn't serve them. Or it can be a time where they look back and say, I learned how to keep learning. And then it didn't matter what I did afterwards because I I learned how to really find what I love to do and stay with what I love to do and expand what I love to do. So I have a series of questions that people have asked me about and that uh, people have been really concerned about, and I'm going to address all of them for a while, not for the entire rest of this show. I'll have guests on in the coming weeks. This is kind of an introductory show, but some common myths people say, and they've been saying it all along. Oh, I can't homeschool because now homeschooling in pandemic a little different than homeschooling and non-pandemic, but you can. 
In fact, I have to say, maybe I'll stop for a second and say, I would like to challenge people who say about anything, I can't, and swap it with, I don't want to, or I'm afraid of, because those are at least more honest. I've heard people say, well, I can't be a doctor because now I'm 40 and I didn't go to med school. If you want to be a doctor at 40, I know a couple people who did that. You're going to have eight years pass whether you're a doctor or not. You might as well do the thing you wanted to do. What you mean is, I'm afraid of doing it, or I don't want to do it. And that is more honest with yourself and will free you up to find the things that really do captivate you. So here are some things people are worried about. My kid will be behind. I homeschooled three kids. And when they were home, they did not follow the curriculum that the kids in school. In second grade, all the kids in school were doing butterflies. My kids didn't do butterflies. They were fine. I think we went to the butterfly museum. They were fine. They did other stuff. They did a thing on rivers and a thing on chocolate. And I remember a big thing we did once on the World's Fair, but they didn't do butterflies. So were they behind in butterflies? I just told someone recently, the whole concept of behind is a real flaw in the way that people think about learning and think about schooling. And we should flush that language right down the toilet now because it doesn't help anybody. Behind lends itself to only two options. One, there's something wrong with you and you should feel bad. Or you're special and you're better than everybody else. And what on earth use is that to kids who are growing? What on earth use is that to adults who are struggling with their own lives and trying to feel good enough? It's a terrible place to be. In Finland, and I love this, in Finland, the schools teach kindergarten and pre-K algebra. And they teach it with a couple of cardboard boxes and some stuffed animals. Somebody made an app of this, and I am going to talk about resources later, but honestly, everybody should get this app. It's called Dragon Box. I learned algebra at 40 because my math teachers were terrible. And I finally learned it and really learned it because after school, I, I had terrible math teachers, but also I didn't remember any of it. Now I know how to do algebra. My point is, was I behind at 40? I guess, yeah. Although I passed, I graduated, so it didn't hurt me in any way. And is everybody but Finland behind now? If the metric is Finland is ahead and better somehow by doing algebra in kindergarten, yeah. But does it matter? And the resounding answer to that is no. When I was in school, a friend of mine, family, packed him up and went and did photography for a year or two in France. I saw photos in National Geographic of him on a unicycle on the deck of a boat. Was he doing typing? Which is what I was taking. No. Was he behind? I mean, I'm guessing not. Was he doing 
Latin or, or exactly the same math curriculum. No, he was not. Was he behind? No. And the other thing about behind is what does it matter if when your kid reintegrates into school, they do fine? And I'm here to tell you they do. They absolutely do fine. You can, and I love this word, you can catastrophize all you want that the first week back, they're not happy because of a transition. It's fine. Wait it out. Let it go. They'll be fine. So the other thing about behind is whether mastery of something is hard or easy. We all talk about how hard work is the only way to get anywhere. And I have some questions about that assumption. I took astronomy at UMass. I took it with a guy who was absolutely determined that we should all succeed on basic mastery of the material. And as I've mentioned, I had terrible math teachers. So I didn't have that sort of basis to do this kind of coursework. And yet I had to take a science class and this was the one I had to take. So the guy worked with me at his office hours to figure out math concepts so that I could figure out what was being asked for the mastery of the understanding what Astronomy 101 is. And I appreciated it so much. And I'm here to tell you that I knew people in my class who were getting all A's. Why? Because it was easy for them, either just because it was something, it was like a, a topic that was super easy for them or that they had a ton of interest in, and or they had some good background in how to solve this kind of problem, or they had a learning environment that encouraged them rather than just telling them to take a different class. They did not work hard for their A's. I worked so hard for the C that I got, and I have rarely been happier for a C. And it doesn't matter. I did clear the C and I graduated. But to me, it kind of does matter when people imply that a student hasn't worked hard enough or that a student who got an A worked hard. That is not necessarily the case. I'm sure it is the case for some people. But a lot of times the people that worked the hardest were the ones who just, just got to finish. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not an astrophysicist. I did grow to really enjoy the material, and I was really appreciative to be able to read Scientific American and kind of understand what was going on after that class. And honestly, more than anything, the material aside, it could have been studying literally anything. The attention that that professor paid to me in wanting me to be able to comprehend what was going on and wanting me to, you know what, it's even more basic in wanting me to be successful in that class. And the given value of success was this basic mastery past the class. And he worked very hard with me and very attentively with me to create a learning atmosphere where I could do that. Because I'm here to tell you that a lot of my problems with math were not just lousy teachers, scary teachers. So there was a lot of emotional stuff and a lot of people have math anxiety. In fact, I just read that anxiety as a disorder has just gazillioned in the last 10 to 20 years. People are anxious. So how do we make it so that we are less anxious if we're going to end up overseeing kids at school this fall? How do we make it so that they're less anxious? 
the whole thing about your kid be behind, there is no behind. There is no spoon. There is no behind. And schools are going to have to just figure out what to do with that on the other side. And I think what they're going to have is an awful lot of interesting kids. Another thing that people are worried about is my kid won't do anything. And this is the place where I really do have a bit of a philosophical issue with school at home or remote schooling. I've never liked the kind of image of homeschoolers as people who sit their kids down for six hours a day and teach them sitting still as if they were doing a mini school in their house. Some people do that. I have found that it goes hand in hand with a lot of repression of kids and their inclinations and their need to move and their interests and feels to me, and and honestly, it really is to me an indication of a kind of authoritarian parenting that I don't think is great for relationships. So the question of my kid won't do anything becomes, what will your kid do? And that becomes that original question. Hey, what do you like to do? If you base the required subjects, so maybe some history, social study, you can look up a list. It's pretty easy to find these lists of the kind of stuff you have to do. And you talk to your kids every week, a couple times a week, about what it is that those shared goals are and what the state requires an educated citizen to be. And then you say, what do you like to do? Let's find a way to get all of these subjects in what you like to do. One of my kids was interested, well, all of my kids were little girls and they did have an interest in Barbie and I decided to stop judging them for it and they had a fine time with them. One of them went from there to making clothes for the Barbies to making clothes for herself based on patterns, worked with a costume maker when she was in school in high school as part of a project and learned how to pattern draft costumes made her prom dress one year and had it light up, learned all sorts of elaborate dressmaking construction, went into college and became a mechanical engineer. And she talks about that as a pretty straight line from this delighted interest in Barbies to becoming a mechanical engineer. We don't know what our kids will be like. And a lot of times we act as if we do. And I, I will say this about kids and the, and the concept of my kid won't do anything. I understand that educating your kids at home is a trust exercise. That core belief that your kid won't do anything does them a disservice and is a red flag that your relationship with them, at least in your mind, is not satisfying or healthy. And that's worth sitting with and looking at because when it is satisfying and healthy, you have the faith because you know to trust them, they will do stuff. And, and the other thing about this, and I have met parents and I have been related to parents who use the phrase, they won't do anything or they don't do anything. At one point I heard someone close to me say they don't read. And what they meant was they won't do what they're told. They won't read what they're told. And if it's possible to talk about creating a healthy learning environment, it's necessary to talk about the opposite, to look 
at your kids, to look at these people that you're responsible for and to say to yourself or to them or to think about them that there is something inherently wrong with them or uncooperative with them because they won't do what they're told or they won't read what they're told is the exact opposite of a learning environment. It has an element of contempt to it and nobody learns under contempt. Any of us that have had a terrible boss, we know that. You don't learn when someone holds you in contempt. And kids don't learn when someone holds them in contempt. So in that respect, the objection of my kids won't do anything has to be surrounded by, like, right now at this moment, how are we going to problem solve this? How am I going to talk to them about ways to fill what the state needs? How am I going to talk to them about this interest that they're no longer interested in and how we can do another one? But if, if you really totally believe that your kid won't do anything, then it's time to look in a mirror and ask what anything they're being asked to do. And to start asking and listening to a kid and finding out what they would do. Back to that networking question. What do you like to do? And then asking yourself, do I hold that in contempt? Do I hold that in judgment? Because it would be really easy for me to hold Barbies in contempt and judgment. Really easy. I grew up in the times where girls were both told to be like that and told that it was bad to like that. So it would be really easy to do that. And it would undermine and unmotivate and demotivate the kids that were already built and wired to learn. And here's a little truism that I just love, which is we can't make other people happy. We just can't. And I think in some way at our core, we know this. We can't make other people happy. We can't make them change and we can't make them happy, but we sure can make them unhappy. So it is possible to create a home circumstance during this time where the kids are just miserable. I think it's unnecessary, and I hate to see it. I, I want to see everyone do well. I want to see Thanksgiving be a time where you still do get together and talk about this time instead of I never talk to the kids anymore. So I think a worry that your kids won't do anything is a worry that you can't manage. And maybe you need support with that, and that's okay. Another problem that people talk about is I don't have time and the sort of secondary things are I work or I can't afford to leave my job or people that are essential workers. And this has been a question all along. Loads of people assumed that I didn't work when I homeschooled and that's not true. Most homeschoolers work and it gets a little old to have people assume that you're sort of a lottery winner when you're not. What we did was we made it work. Now, this is the place where if you're happy with remote schooling, then you're doing fine. But if you can't balance the time that you need to spend at work with the education that your kid needs to have, needs to be doing for the next year, then you want to consider real homeschooling because real homeschooling is incredibly flexible 
and much easier to work around for the parents and the kids. And here's a really interesting thing. You already know that. Everybody listening to this podcast already knows people who homeschool, and they already know that it bends around the shape of the adults and the kids' interests. And the reason you know this is because every Olympic athlete that's a teenager that you've ever seen in your life, they are all homeschooled. They do their schooling for a couple hours, then they go to the pool and they work out. Their parents are working around that. Sometimes they're even living with coaches. But they're skating, they're going to the skating rink and they're doing their schooling before, later. But they are doing eight hours skating. They are not doing six hours of schooling. Every Harry Potter movie you've watched, you've seen a huge team of kids that were all homeschooled. Couple at a time, not at the same time. They have a tutor and a trailer and they do a couple hours. So in general, homeschooling takes about two to three hours a day. And that two to three hours is unbelievably flexible. That two to three hours has to do with your family. When some of my kids were in an opera, they were up very, very late to rehearse. And that's fine. We didn't wake up at six to get into school for eight the next morning. You can go and sleep until 1130. I got up at eight and I did a lot of work. And then when they got up a couple hours later and then they did their schooling and we brought stuff with them to do during a kid's not on stage the whole time. So we had an entire setup backstage of kids and some projects they were working on. That's how you can bend things around. Now that has to do with making sure childcare works. Once you get the childcare piece done, then you can figure out when the homeschooling is going to happen. Sometimes your childcare provider will help you with the homeschooling. I just spoke with a couple people that I, mm, I have to watch my own judgmental views on this, but they had this idea that they would hire a college student to provide childcare and homeschool their kids, remote school, school at home, their kids all fall. And I said, that sounds like a complete employee nightmare. There is no way to manage a college student to succeed at that job. Because if you're going to take it out on them that your kids did not in some way not fall behind or whatever, because they were supposed to do this thing, I was a nanny. You could never have paid me enough money to do that. So I think combining those things outside of the convenience of a school, which does combine those things, I think that's a living nightmare. The fact is, if you are doing two to three hours of schooling a day, by the way, you don't have to do it every day. Maybe you do it all day Saturday and Sunday. Maybe you get somebody in on certain days. Maybe they're taking two online courses and that is taking care of some of it. It's incredibly flexible because what you're talking about is mastery of skills and if not full-on mastery, movement towards mastery of skills. That is the end game for homeschooling. Oh, and I wanted to also say about that whole behind thing, we got to be really careful as we talk about our kids being behind and having to do school at home 
There are families, and yours may be one of them, where multiple kids are going to have to use one computer. How are they going to do that if they all have to be in school all day? What if there is internet inaccessibility or limitations? And the idea that we're going to come out of this and start pointing fingers at who's behind and who's not behind and that our fear is going to talk about this means there are going to be kids who are made to feel terrible for circumstances way beyond their control. So I'm an advocate for throwing out that language and for saying, okay, you can set up a learning environment where your attention on this kid's academics is the equivalent of two to three hours per day across a week, a week and a half. Some days you won't feel like doing any of this. And I'm here to tell you, it's fine. Your kids will be fine. There are days when they're in school where they don't learn a darn thing. Every teacher will tell you that. Every experience you had will tell you that. And it's fine. So another problem people have thrown up as a stumbling block is I'm a single parent. Again, if you are afraid of doing homeschooling, if you don't want to, own those. But single parenthood is not a make or break. And plenty of people have done it. And the way they do it, and the secret to this is they have separated out childcare from the homeschooling. And I'm going to have guests on that will tell you how they did that. It's almost like we have to de-school ourselves while we go through this process so that we understand that learning is not the same as school and the hours involved are not the same. If you have a kid who is doing some research, who has a project, who has, let me go back to my soccer kid who's looking at angles and is like, I don't even understand how angles get to work. Okay, well, great. So let's have you, maybe you get on and do some Khan Academy. Maybe you have a book that you're going to look through and figure out how to do some exercises on how arcs work and angles work. By the way, you as a parent do not need to know this stuff. And we'll talk about that in a second. Maybe that kid needs to go and do some basics. That's fine. And it, if, as they do it, they get it within 15 minutes, then you don't have to spend two hours on a geometry class with them. And they don't have to even finish out an online geometry class as long as they got what they needed. There is value to the basics, and kids want to learn how to learn. So they do learn the basics. And to some extent, you may step in at that point when you are managing your kid and say, you're going to need to know how these things work. And to some extent, and I want to say I did this, I said, I'm afraid that the gaps will make it harder for you to figure out the stuff you need to figure out. So I didn't buy full curriculums, but I did buy math workbooks and say, so let's just kind of get these basics out of the way so that you know how it works. And like all of us, after doing those workbooks, they might have forgotten what they really needed until they turned out to need it again to figure out how something else works. And that's fine. That's how learning works. None of this leaves a kid ignorant. None of this leaves a kid depressed and unwilling to learn. None of this leaves a kid stupid. It just is a different way of structuring learning. 
So the next thing is people who say, well, I'm no teacher. I'm not a teacher. I didn't get a teaching degree. I don't think I can do this. When you are directing, helping a kid direct their learning in elementary school to middle school, you're a manager. And then middle school to high school, you are a consultant. You do not have to teach the kids anything you do not know. For one thing, you probably didn't teach them how to walk. They wanted to learn how to walk and you created a supportive atmosphere for them to learn. So your job is to say, ah, okay, let's figure out how you can find the people that you can learn from. Let's figure out how you can find the resources you need to be able to do this job properly. And we're, we've circled right back around to good leadership management techniques. What do you need to be able to do this? What are you missing? Those are what you provide. You might teach if you wanted to. A lot of times what people do, and the childcare puzzle has been brilliant this uh, during COVID. It, it's always hard. It's always been hard as a homeschooler to figure out the childcare piece. But in COVID, so many people are in the same boat that people are getting together as tiny groups or pods or extended families. This is brilliant. When those happen, you can exchange teaching. And that has been a tradition for a lot of homeschoolers is to figure out with a couple of other families, who's good at this, who's good at that? Would you just run a class with the three kids? And I will work. Maybe those classes will happen at night. Maybe they'll happen on Saturdays. Maybe families will work something out where they're able to just bend it around their work schedules and the demands. It's very personalized. But you do not have to be a teacher. Also, the state does not require you to be a teacher because homeschooling is very, very, very different than teaching. It's been funny during this time. I've seen loads and loads of teachers offer their services during this time to homeschool kids. And I applaud the impulse. I think it's very generous and very kind. But having done it? Oh, no way is it the same set of skills. However, if they're able to kind of back off and realize, oh, I am teaching like a college professor teaches, then what they give is going to be very successful. And that's great. But that is a very different, it's a very different ask from a middle school teacher or an elementary school teacher. Those are different ways of teaching. And Parents who worry that they're not a teacher and can't homeschool their kids, that's, that is a fear. Again, own it. I don't want to or I'm afraid because you do not need to be a teacher. Another issue people have is I can't afford it. I homeschooled my kids for very close to free every year. It was in non-pandemic times. The big difference is how many field trips, because I love going places. I love field trips. We took them on Saturdays when I was working at other places, but we can't do that these days. So that piece is out. When I did all those field trips, I did them all for just the gas price because I got passes at the libraries. So I did all of that stuff as cheaply as possible. Your public library can get you untold, unfathomably large resources. You call them and they will meet you outside and they will put it on a table right now and you are supporting a vital town resource 
while getting your money's worth out of it. So that's number one. Number two, the internet is amazing. There are so many resources and many of them are free. Coursera courses, yeah, you can pay, but you can also audit them. MIT and Harvard have lectures for free. TED Talks exist. Khan Academy is amazing. So as we close out the hour, I'm going to talk a little bit about some resources and what you can expect the coming episodes to be like. First of all, some homeschooling resources. If you're interested in homeschooling, you can go online and look at AHEM, which is the Association of Home Educators of Massachusetts. You can Google that. And MHLA, the Massachusetts Home Learner Association. I make a special effort to shout out to them because, and I didn't really address this too much in this podcast, but it is important to know that a lot of the resources that you will find on homeschooling are very religious. And my own ask, my own homeschooling, but also the the philosophy of this show is very centered on secular homeschooling. People can be religious. My guests, some of them will practice religions, and I don't. That's fine. But I'm not really interested in the ins and outs of religious homeschooling. For one thing, they have an agenda. For another thing, people that want to do it find their way there. And for another thing, they already have a whole corner with lots and lots of stuff. If you're interested in it, you can find them very easily. But I will tell you, if you are not interested in it, if you are, in fact, uh, worried that they will not welcome you in some way because of a non-traditional family or your own belief practices, it can actually get a little bit off-putting or traumatizing to stumble into those groups and realize what you thought was homeschooling was actually just shorthand for religious indoctrination and homeschooling. So you will never find that here. And AHEM and MHLA are both secular organizations. And if you are searching around, it is worth adding the word secular to your searches if that is something that is important to you. I'm here and my guests are talking to me in order to talk to and reassure and support juggling, ordinary, busy, multitasking families. Because that's what we are. And that's what we've been all along. We'll also, in every episode, talk a bit about psychology, brain science, behavioral science, habit management like figuring out how to do that time management piece and anything else that kind of comes up around learning and learning as parents. I'm a little bit wistful about the idea of schooling. I will say that I personally grew much, much more as a parent and as a person through homeschooling my kids than I did during those times when I didn't. Now, that's my own particular situation. My jobs at the time were not necessarily personally fulfilling, but I ended up coming out the other side with a radically different idea about how I learned and how I related to people and how I managed my own time and my own ways, my own beliefs, honestly, and the way I saw the world. And on this side of it, it's a 
much more optimistic and hopeful place. And it's a place where astonishing things happen. And I want, I want that for everybody. I also want you to know it's going to be okay. There's a great traditional saying that is, it's going to be okay in the end. So if it's not okay, then it's not the end. And in a bigger level, it's going to be okay. The kids are going to be okay. In the grand scheme of things, having to be at home and schooling for a year or two is unbelievably small in terms of things that can go wrong in this world. It's going to be okay. If you have any questions about anything that you hear me saying, anything you hear my guests saying, anything that you just wonder, you just wish you knew about any of this challenge that people are going through around work, around juggling life, and around getting the kids educated, and finding time for yourself. The creativity piece has to do with being fully yourself. You Just reach out to me. I'm at info at working9tothrive.com, and that's with the number nine. And I would be delighted to hear from you. And if you're okay with it, I'll read and answer questions on the air. Take good care, stay well, and I'll talk to you next week. That's it for this week's 9 to Thrive podcast. Be sure to visit working9tothrive.com, that's with the number 9, to access links, info, and to join the conversation. We're on Twitter, at 9tothrive, and Facebook, at Working9tothrive. Thanks for listening. 